In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, There is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. John's clothes were woven of coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jer Jerusalem and from all of Judea and from all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed. Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with a never-ending fire. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure to subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. So the desert is Advent country. We know something about that in West Texas and in this part of the world. Um, I uh, read a bit of a speech this week that back through some that uh, Teddy Roosevelt uh, gave in 1910 in France. And it was a particular place that he gave the speech, and all of you could probably pronounce it. I cannot, so I'm just not going to say it. Uh, my French is very bad. Uh, but it was in France. Uh, it was there in Paris. And he had finished his presidency, and, you know, he still had some of that uh, energy left, that he wanted to do things. He wanted to help. He wanted to, he still felt like he had more in the tank, more stuff he wanted to do. So he wrote this great speech, kind of appealing to the better angels of our human nature, uh, and it's a famous speech, and you'll recognize the line, it is not the critic who counts. It's not the critic who counts. And he's, he's lamenting, as everyone does, the lack of good quality leadership in the world and in various countries. And, you know, what, what is a democracy like when the leadership is struggling, when the leadership is lower quality and not formed in virtue? Our whole republic suffers. And he says, but worse than that, is when the common everyday people are not growing and 
you know, serving and becoming virtuous people because that's the real heartbeat of any society, uh, any democracy. And so he's going through the whole thing and he says this section where he says, you know, there's a problem with the average person or the average leader who we would just call a critic or a cynic. And he said the problem with a critic or a cynic is they develop this habit of thought and speech, a readiness to criticize the work, which the critic himself never tries to perform. Does that sound familiar? Something they don't know anything about, but they're going to criticize. They're not going to help. It's an intellectual aloofness, T.R. said, that will not accept contact with life's realities. That will not accept contact with life's realities. I think that's what the desert helps us do. What the season of Advent does for us is it helps us face and make contact with the real world that we live in not the world that we might rather sit back and talk about. TR's speech implied that not only, um, like I say, it's not just the leaders of the country that are in jeopardy, but it's more importantly, it's the, the courage and the fortitude of the everyday citizen who would keep the problems of society, the darkness, we might say, at arm's length. So in the season of Advent, we, we step further into the darkness because we're assured of the light that is coming. That's what John the Baptist does for us. But you know, T.R. was kind of a desert figure in his, in his own way. Uh, it's kind of what I think made him larger than life. And some of you may appreciate, uh, may appreciate his life or have studied and probably know more about his life than I do. But I've always been fascinated with Teddy Roosevelt because of the way that he started out. He was a very sickly child. He came from money, but you know, he was bullied as a kid. And so that motivated him to change things and to kind of do some different stuff. So he becomes the cowboy and the whole Rough Riders thing. And he travels the world and does his safaris and, uh, you know, advocates for national parks and all that good stuff. And he was a huge book nerd, by the way, uh, Teddy Roosevelt. So if you need any book nerds out there, feel some solidarity. But uh, the, the, that's what made him just such a larger-than-life figure. He was so interesting. And so the desert figure in our text today is, of course, John the Baptist. And he speaks to us from the Judean wilderness, uh, a place, a desert country. If you'd gone on foot, it, it would, you know, it's a 20 mile journey roughly from Jerusalem, calling us to wake up and accept the reality of darkness, to face it, and to brace ourselves for the, the arrival of light, to prepare the way of the Lord. Because the place of desert sort of provides a quality to the people who spend time there. Uh, not too long ago, uh, my nine-year-old daughter and I went and spent a couple of days and nights out in a wilderness scenario. We backpacked in, and uh, just the enthusiasm of, of leaving our cell phone behind and hitting the trail and losing cell signal, and uh, my nine-year-old says as we're walking into the trailhead, she goes, all right, Dad, let's say goodbye to civilization. <laughs> you know? and so it was, but it wasn't a sad thing or a fearful thing. It was an exciting thing. It's like, let's find what is out here that might be wild, that might change us, that might wake us up, that might sharpen our senses, that might remind us of the ways that we are really alive and we belong in this world that God created. And so wilderness spaces, desert spaces are, are liminal spaces. They are vulnerable places. They are places where our senses become more keen. You know, when you spend time with just the stars and the coyotes and, you know, all that stuff, it sharpens your senses a little bit. 
you learn to hear things and see things that you didn't see before. It's like sharpening your pocket knife. The Jordan River was this sort of place, and it was a sacred place for the Israelites. Uh, as you know, this is the place where Elijah came and passed his mantle to Elisha, and then Elijah was uh, taken up into heaven, you know, the whole chariot thing. That was the Jordan River. That was this area. And of course, it was the gateway to the promised land after God's people, our ancestors, spent 40 years wandering in the, in the wilderness, wandering in the desert. For what purpose? For their sanctification, right? To be ready for God, to be ready for the promised land. Uh, they, they had to be shaped and they had to get Egypt kind of out of their system so they could prepare to live a different way. The Jordan River was that place for them, the place where they entered in. It was the gateway. And so... John the Baptist goes there to that place and he's calling out to anyone who will come with his very famous words. And you know, it's not just John the Baptist's words that are fascinating, it's his dress. He's dressed in a crazy way. And sometimes we read that and we just think, oh, everybody dressed that way back then. Uh, but they didn't. Uh, he would have been the weird guy then. They would have been going, what in the world is he dressed like that for? Doesn't he know that we're a modern more modern society. We don't have to dress that way anymore or eat simply locusts and honey and all that stuff. Uh, our, our dress signifies something, especially when it's something we didn't expect. Uh, one of the reasons I wear a clergy robe or vestment sometimes is just simply to remind me, if no one else, of the office of what I have been called to do. Uh, and so my kids always make fun of me when, when, I, when I wear it, um, but it's sort of, you know, no one else dresses like this. If I went to the bank like this tomorrow, you know, they would call security. They would say, Why, who's the crazy guy, you know, wearing vestments in the bank? And so, uh, but, but it, the, the dress says something. It says, uh, what are we paying attention to? Uh, what is God calling us to? And in the case of the, the purple stole during Advent, what are we yoked to? What, what wagon are we yoked to that, that we have been called to, to serve in this way? John opens his mouth and he says, the most important thing in your life, the most important thing that could ever be is at hand is among us. The kingdom of God is among us. The kingdom of heaven is here. It's an alarm. It was an alarm to wake up and to be aware of danger. John says you're in danger of falling into the shadows. And in fact, you have been called to expose those shadows and you're just kind of slinking back into the shadows. Repent. Return. Turn towards something worth your whole life. Let your life be formed and shaped by the kingdom of heaven. Change is needed, John said, for all of us. All of us have to change. This is good news that we can change, that we don't have to be stuck in the way that we have been. But God has opened up new frontiers. There's a new life available through the baptism of repentance. So all the people have come out. It's this very hopeful story. All these people that are looking for a change of life that know they can live in a different way, that know they've been you know, dragged down into the mire and they want to be better. They want to see something different. They want to live. They want to be able to face the darkness. Change is needed for everybody. And John warns us that the quickest way to miss out on the hope that comes through the transformation of Jesus Christ is a little thing called presumption. He tells them, he cautions them and cautions us, beware of being presumptuous. Do not be presumptuous and simply say, oh, 
just say to ourselves, and we all do this. This is one of my favorite sins. I just say to myself, oh, I'm a child of Abraham. I'm in good shape. Right? I, I wrote the book on Sunday school. I, my grandparents built this church or whatever the thing is. I went to theology school. Whatever the thing is, we, we want to say presumption is a very dangerous enemy. And John says, be very careful of presumption. Because if you have presumption, then you miss hope because you don't need salvation. You don't need someone to rescue you. And John says, we need a savior. We need light. We stand in the midst of darkness. We're in desperate need. So let's not act like that's not the case. So he calls us to wake up to hope. I'm always in danger, I feel like, of when I replace this sort of repentance, this turning away from one thing and turning towards God. Uh, and, and I replace that with just, you know, things that I've learned or things that I've done along the way. And I forget of the daily need for repentance, the daily need to wake up, the, the need to spend time in the desert and see things differently, the things that I've just gotten used to and taken for granted and made comparative analysis about and comparing myself to others. And these are all just terrible things that will just eat away at the life of our souls. So John gives us this hopeful prospect of waking up, of facing the darkness in ourselves first, our own need for healing and salvation. And then when we are healed and strong and growing with one another, we enter the darkness by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're not afraid. And we face the things that are not right with the world. Now, of course, in as much as it's possible for us, if there's anything we can do about something like whatever the latest news cycle reveals, Iran's morality police or something like that, that's, of course, great. But sometimes those things that we really can't do anything about in this very moment will distract us from the more subtle places of darkness that are in our own backyards, in our own neighborhoods. And we have been called to those places. It's amazing how John greets the Pharisees and the Sadducees who had showed up. Notice that the text says, uh, Matthew tells us they didn't come to be baptized. They just came to watch. <laughs> you know, you know, we know people like this. They didn't, they didn't really want to get in on the life change. They just want to observe and take notes and make sure John's doing everything, see what they can kind of write him up on. And the, the Pharisees and Sadducees were uh, opposing sects, of course, not just religious, but very political entities. And they were always at odds with one another. It would be as if John came and said, listen, Democrats, Republicans, all right, I know y'all are fighting, and you think if you could just rid the world of the other group, it would all be fine with the world. But he calls them all a brood of vipers, you know, you den of rattlesnakes. Uh, why are you missing out on the life that you have been called to? You have to bear fruit that's keeping with repentance. Uh, you can't just trust that because you're a Pharisee, you're, you're working things in the right direction. So he's, he's getting into their lives and inviting them to make a dramatic life change that will set them free and then will produce great uh, wheat, you know, great food, great fruit in the world, a weightiness that when the chaff is tossed up in the air and the wind blows everything away, there'll be something left. There'll be something left to put in the grain bins. There'll be something left to make bread with. There'll be something left to plant next year's crop with a weight that we have been called to. John the Baptist, 
if we fast forward a little bit, he died because he confronted the darkness, because he faced the evil of his day. But he did it because he knew that the kingdom of God was filled with light and that it was worth it to allow his life to be shaped by that. And he didn't want people to fall asleep and fall into the darkness, but he wanted even the Pharisees and the Sadducees to wake up and have the reminder that their lives too could be changed. Teddy Roosevelt continued in, in 1910 with this great speech, and this is the more familiar part. And it's a little long, so I apologize, but it's just worth hearing again to kind of catch this desert wilderness spirit that keeps us going in the face of things that are really hard. T.R. said, It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood and who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. Let us follow John into the desert for the renewal of our hearts and fresh eyes to see the world. Let us return to the Lord, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.